Guys, really quick before we um, before the podcast starts, I just want to mention that um, we made a mistake. Uh, one of the characters in Burn the Witch, I was referring to them as Brago, and then after a while, Nikhil was like, "Oh, it's gotta be Brago," but it's actually Balgo, Balgo Parks, the male lead in uh, in Burn the Witch. I think I was saying Brago because if anyone remembers Satch Bell, there's a character called Brago in there. But yeah, that's one of that's like the biggest. Um, oopsies we made during the recording. There's a there's a few others, right? But uh, the other one being the um characteristics of the big big march and the big dragons in the show. But uh, uh it's not it's not too important. Point is, it's Balgo. We say Brago. Uh, we know we made that mistake. Just want to let you guys know. All right, sweet. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Anime Hub. And this month or this episode, we're going to be covering. Burn the Witch, which has been making rounds in the anime community recently because it's affiliated with Bleach. Um, Francisco, I know, has a lot to say about it, so I'll let him take this conversation over. Yeah, we saw Burn the Witch. Uh, Taikubo wrote it. It's been a couple years since he finished Bleach. This is his next serialization. He's doing something really interesting, or rather Shonen Jump is letting him do something really interesting. Instead of being a weekly serialization, he comes out with arcs or seasons. And he recently finished season one. And fortunately, soon after he finished it, I think like uh, September. Well, point is, a few weeks after he finished it on Shonen Jump, we got the anime release on October, October 3rd or 2nd. It was released on Crunchyroll. And we got the slip episodes one through three, which covers chapters one through four of Burn the Witch so far. It did not cover chapter zero, which is one shop chronologically chapter zero does does fit but to, due to the fact that it wasn't in the anime i'm not too sure what that means sometimes very it's very common for people who do one shots to take the ideas from those one shots and then address them later or change some some details regarding those the one shots so that might come relevant might come in relevance later on um and, and burn the witch serialization from Taikubo, he might decide to change certain events from one shot, even though in general, I do think they're probably going to stay the same. The one shot effectively deal with Brago, which is the, the male protagonist, or not the male lead. Effectively, I think the two protagonists are um, Nilly and Noel. Nini and Noel? Yeah, Nini and Noel. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Which I think they co- contract each other really well and they make for fantastic leads. Uh, Brag was more of a um, Noel Sim, if we're being entirely honest. Uh, but he's he's cool. I, I think he's all right as a as a character. He's he's sweet, effectively. I I really like the last scene where um. Yeah, I like his dog. His dog's his dog's red. His dog's a dragon. If you're not familiar, spoilers by the way. We're, we're just we're just gonna go straight up into it. Just mention the spoilers. Some other things. I have more to say about Taikubo. Nikhil has some strong opinions on Bleach in general, just like many people have. Maybe if you watch Bleach, it's pretty old. It's one of many people's few starting elements. I know it was one of my first one, and I always consider it to be aesthetically just a lot cooler than One Piece and Naruto. There's something to do with Taikubo's style that just oozes out aesthetics, which is really evident. I know my sister loves to mention, or loves to point out the fact that Taikubo is a huge fan of drawing his cast with casual clothing. I think it was mentioned in, I mean, I mean, I can't, I cannot provide a citation for wh- where I heard this, but when I was younger, I read 
interview in Saikubo, one of the questions that was asked, like, where do you get the inspirations for all these clothing? And he responded with, I don't have the money to buy the things I want. So I just draw off the cool clothes that I want on my characters because I think they look awesome. I think, uh, I don't know, it's like, I have a lot to say, but let's try going through the chapters or let's try going through the, through the episodes, like episode one, two, and three. So I do think that episode one was a really strong start because I think uh, being introduced to Nini in that fashion was really interesting and we kind of like got a good way into it. I think the manga, the manga did a really good job, I think, as well. And honestly, the adaptation felt really similar to the manga, which is really cool. Uh, but more than that, definitely the um, the parallel between the characters getting great. The portrayal of dragons, I think, is something I really wanted to talk about. I know that uh, Francisco, I was talking to you about it a little earlier, especially about how like the dragons were portrayed in uh, in uh, Western media versus Eastern media, and that's something I really wanted to highlight. So. Right off the bat, we see that the dragons are a lot more like they're not sleek looking. They're more like angular, if that makes sense. And also, there was definitely more of a like defined structure to each of the dragons versus it being like, um, how do I put it? Like, like a snake. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I kind of, I kind of enjoyed that aspect, to be honest of the show i thought it made it very like it, it definitely made it a lot more european which i think is very unique in that regard and so like it really emphasized that like that european aspect especially when they brought like the european flag and stuff and like the two dragons and whatnot that was a cool touch and so like it was weird that the portrayal i don't even want to say weird i think it was like brilliant the portrayal of the dragons was a really good way of showing the uh the culture of the nation that was being presented here and in this case the dragons were very western they're like there were no like real eastern dragons um and to define like western eastern dragons for a little bit before we before i really get into it and uh mo most dragons in eastern cultures were definitely a lot more snake-like um they had large wings smaller arms or claws and then they had like they were they were definitely more heavenly and i think that's a it's a very apt way of putting it. And they had like large snouts with like like scales covering and all that. Uh, but their bodies were very snake-like. In Western media, Western portrayal of dragons, it was a lot more like a crocodile mixed with like that had wings and like but thicker and bigger arms. So think like if you've read the books Aragon, um, those kind of dragons are a big example of that, like Sephira. She's like a Western dragon or like um, Western dragons more popularly have all four. Um, they have a defined body with four thick legs and a tail and then like a snout and everything. I find it really interesting that they portray, they chose to portray the dragons as Western dragons versus the Eastern dragons. And something I'm really curious to see if we're ever like, for example, and this is a slight spoiler. Soul Society was mentioned in episode four. I want to know if we're ever going to be able to see like Eastern dragon representation. So like Eastern dragons from Japan or China and like have that kind of cross play intersectional kind of thing, you know? So that's something I liked a lot right off the bat in episode one. And the way they portrayed that, um, especially with like London, that was really cool. 
So it really emphasized that Western kind of influence that Tai Kubo, I think, was going for. So dragons are interesting in that they don't, and dragons in general, like there's no definitive structure to how dragons are supposed to look. For example, we know how a manticore is supposed to look. We know how a centaur is supposed to look. They're like all very definitive. The dragons are super loose. And rather than looking something, they, they represent something within you know the story or whatever. In the case of um, Burn Witch, there are these dark dragons, which represent the more uh, negative aspects of humanity, which are, I believe, we, we see a few dark dragons, and they're always casting Hyvek to the citizens. Um, they've done a really good job. The Pipers, or the, the West the West Branch, the Wingbinds organization here, to handle the... Um, effectively, dragons are spiritual creatures. So, like, the two main leads, another way of considering what they do is they're environmental conservationists. So they deal with these kind of creatures and depending, and they can get there's plenty of resources that comes from the dragons that it can be mined. And the idea behind them is that we don't want to exploit them to the point of extinction because that's not beneficial for what we can get off them, which is very, which is a very apt way of saying like we like the approach that this organization is taking is one of preservation for the benefit of future generations. I think in the it was in the manga that was mentioned a slight nod that in the east the reason why we never saw these spiritual dragons when it came to bleach and this is like explanation that Taikubo gave was that they decided that the folks over there decided to just exterminate these dragons entirely in this universe that's why you don't see dragons over in Japan at least um, maybe maybe that might explain. Uh, this is this is going back to what Akira was saying, right? He would like to see the crossing of an Eastern dragon, like maybe one from China or whatever, going to one of the um, these British location or British locations. Who knows? We don't know. There's a there's a lot of potential involved in and lore behind Burn the Witch outside of the Soul Society from Bleach, because we do learn that Bleach, the universe of Bleach, so the universe of Bleach is the same one as Burn the Witch, except with you know some differences being that we're focusing on different aspects of the planet with different spirits involved or supernatural activity. But that's really, that was that was just a cute, cute nod. There's like a lot of things we can go more into it. I personally hope that Taikubo strays away from Bleach in general. I mean, maybe the occasional um, cameo, right? But I think, I think Taikubo, I, I really like Taikubo's approach to Burn the Witch in that it's less of a shonen where it's like battle focus. And definitely more focus on the characters and like their relationship to one another. And the entire like the entire organization is already well defined in my opinion. Like we have members from the upper branch. And something that was really cool about these members, like the heads of these seats, when they were introduced, their their name like, pops up in the screen, right? But each one of these names has a different font going for them. For example, the main one that we that they dealt with, like Nini and Noah dealt with in in these in this in this movie was um was bruno bang bang knife and he was more of a kind of a what's that that art what's that artwork called again Nikio, where like you get spray paint and tagging like it's when you tag out oh tagging yeah yeah when he like it was like some witchcraft thing yeah that was like his specific style of witchcraft and he had I mean, like, like all, of have all of them have it i think it's just like his specific thing was like using spray paint yeah which also goes along with 
Taikugo's entire like aesthetics that he always tries to go for something that looks super cool. And I'm not gonna deny, like every single one of these characters has very unique, very unique design going for them. Bang Bang Knight, for example, has a whole street fight with the canisters. He tags the sky. He tags his dragon's wing when he's flying to through it, and that's how he conducts his magic. The Vipers, on the other hand, Nini and Noel are, while they do have the same uniform, and the uniform looks pretty cool in general, right? they have a pipe, which they can use both as a like a proxy gun or like an actual pipe where you blow through it. And then they have that, I don't know what it's called. It's not, a, it's definitely not a scarf, but it's like a cowl. I don't, not a cowl because it's not a mask. I do want to say like that, cow, like it is a cowl, but like that cowl, it's a, it's a, it's plaid. I don't know if that's a if that's a uh, point to like um, Irish culture or something. I just think that's kind of cool. Just an FYI. I, again, I'm not Irish. I have no affiliation with the Irish, so I would not know. I just know that plaid is a very prominent color in a lot of Irish culture, and so um, it's kind of cool that he incorporates that into the uh, to the show. Yeah, sort of like based off of England and stuff and whatnot. But yeah, definitely the fact that the font when they when these higher ups were introduced, each single one of them was different, says a lot about how Taiku was already envisioning their character and personality to be reflective, which is very evident from um, Bang Knife being more of the I'll rather he's like pretty chaotic, even though he still listens to like organizations or whatever. He like goes through the bureaucrats, he files reports and whatnot. Because I mean, it's also reflective of the fact that he like main, managed to get in a higher high position, right? But the way he fights and his method of doing things is definitely very street in that he represents a level of freedom, mm-hmm. and it's also evident that he was a and a, more more of freedom, but rather more of a person who takes action, which is evident from the fact that he was the first one that confronted Noel and and Nini, which were in the position. They were the reason he confronted them there was because they were in a position where they were the guardians of Brago. And the, the thing that's unique about Brago is that he's a dragon clad, because in the one shot it was revealed that he spent approximately over a decade with his best friend, who he didn't realize was a dragon. His ex, the body of the dragon. That's a bit difficult now. We don't know if this is like actual canon anymore. I assume it is. I don't I haven't read any interviews, but in the one shot. To become a dragon clad is to be around a dragon for an extended period of time to the point where you end up being enveloped in, we don't know the specifics, but you end up attracting other dragons to you after a while. According to Wikipedia, it's like you're not necessarily human anymore, but you're like, it's weird. They, 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 you're considered a dragon by genealogy. And like, I thought that was kind of strange. They don't explain it in their show, which is a little unfortunate. And in the manga, I feel like they don't do like that good of a job explaining it, which is why I think in the second season, which we know we're getting for the second part, um, and then hopefully a second season in the anime, um, they'll go a little more into it because that's not been really established yet. So I think that's something that's still kind of up in the air. But from what we do know, like we know that they're not necessarily human and we know that they're like they're considered dragons by genealogy, even though they were like not dragons. It's really weird. Yeah, exactly. I, I like the approach that Google does. I mean, like, it's it's bad writing narratively. You just give us a little answer right away. I mean, look at look at One Piece for an example. They 
One Piece has spent over a decade trying to un unreveal the entire mystery of the universe, and it's it's been um, a lot better for it, right? Overall, to maintain mm -hmm. interest. And I I enjoyed that Taikubo didn't explain this. And something that's really interesting, or some it's a slight observation. I don't know if it's too interesting. I find it interesting is that they didn't need to explain what a dragon cat was too much. Because Nini and Noel already know that. And the way they see Bragg was more of a guy who's kind of endurance. Kind of like a little brother. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think Nini sees him as an annoying little brother. And then um, it's very clear that um, uh, Elaine? Noel, Noel. Noel, Noel. I don't know why I said Elaine. Um, Noel definitely sees her sees him really different, and that's evident because of the last scene in the third episode. Um, I think it was in the manga too. I don't remember, but I yes, I read I watched the anime recently, so this is still in my head. Where like she goes out to him and she just like hugs him and holds him for that that like however long it is. Like she clearly feels some sort of way towards him. It's just like it's not evident. Like we don't know what it is. So that will probably be revealed later. We at least know that she feels an affectionate. She's affectionate towards him. She she cares about him. That's we can yeah. definitely say that. Which is the minimum. Which is nice. The reason why she ends up hugging him, by the way, is because as I mentioned, Bang Knife approached him and he was like the main point of conflict. Or one of the main mm -hmm. point of conflicts. The other one was the more of a the lore heavy. But concerning Bang Knife, the reason why he approached him was because they were in charge of uh, they were the guardians of Bang of um, Braggle. Because Braggle cannot he has to be kept under watch because he always attracts dragons and that causes disturbance for the pop for the public, right? And especially when it comes to attracting dark dragons, dark dragons are very known to be aggressive and they attack humans. And effectively, you know, I think it was it was mentioned in the first episode that like approximately a non-zero amount of the percentage of deaths that happened in the Middle Ages were due to dragons. And that's before that this was before the organization was likely or before that there was a conscious effort to do some kind of some kind of control of this of this situation. I really like the aspect that I know I, I glossed over this, but I like the aspect of the environmental conservationist deal that Oda's going for. The I mentioned this because another prominent author that also decided to do something related to ecology was Togashi from Hunter Hunter. And if we remember correctly what he ended up doing was that he ended up with the Chimera Antarchy, did a case study of the competitive exclusion principle and then a nature versus nurture situation. And that turned out really well, really interesting. So I like that it seems that Taiku was also taking inspiration from our, from our planet itself and then transitioning that into a way that would make sense for this universe that has these spiritual creatures. Mm -hmm. so that's great. Uh, so we know that Brago attracts these dark dragons, and dark dragons haven't been a problem for approximately a hundred years. They haven't attacked, uh, you know, an urban area for that long, or they haven't like been an issue for humans. So Bang Knife asked the higher ups, "Hey, can we can we set up a hit list for Brago to just get rid of him because he's a problem?" And that happened, right? So fortunately, they were able to remove the hit list at the end of episode three, which led Noel to hug Brago because. Braggle isn't gonna isn't gonna die now. He's not he's not he's not sentenced for an execution anymore. So you know she gets he gets to say and she's happy about that. Like who wouldn't be happy that their friend like isn't going to be killed just because they exist? Mm -hmm. 
which is super interesting because it goes back to Bleach, for example. And Bleach Rukia was going to be executed because she did technically, she did something right, right? She saved the family, but the method that she went about by saving the family broke soul society law because she transferred some spiritual energy to a human, which is illegal. And you can see a lot of, we can already just assume, we can imagine the kind of consequences that that can have if it's done too often. So she was sent to be executed, even though effectively she did save a family. And it feels like wrong, but it's the law. In similar situation, Brago is sentenced to be executed for just existing. So he did nothing wrong. Slightly different, but it's similar in the fact that there's a friend who's going to be killed and you don't feel that's very, there's not a lot of justice going into this. So Brago gets to stay alive and Noelle hugs him at the end, which is really sweet. Yeah, I think it is. I also do want to emphasize, um, I think Brago's role in the whole thing. Like, I liked, uh, I liked how Brago was never, uh, was never a sole focus. Like, he was and he wasn't, as weird as it is. Because, like, there was still, like, Nini's story, right, with um, May, I think was her name. And um, I think that was really cool. Like, the way they made it, like, her, like, May and Nini were kind of still, like, the focus of, like, what was happening. They were still, like, super important. Um, versus like just choosing just to focus on Brago, I think was really sweet. I think it was a it was a really good way of balancing out all the characters. So it, it even though it was only three episodes, it felt like everyone got ad, like an adequate amount of screen time, and you really did see their stories like being fleshed out to some extent. Obviously, we don't know as much as, about Brago as we need to, but it feels like we don't need to because his story is just being set up, like. And on top of that, like, there's still so much we don't know about the universe that I think contributes to who Brago is. Like, there's no need to know anything about him right now. I think we can find out more about him later. I think it's really cool that uh, Taikubo chose to focus on Nini and May's relationship and then, like, Noelle and Nini's relationship uh, more than anything else first. I thought it was sweet. I Yeah, another point that we mentioned is I always felt that Tai Kubo was really good at writing just powerful women or female leads in his stories. I mean, you can say that he did write the whole situation with Rukia and Orihime being the Amazon in distress, but he has other leads in his stories. For example, Hiroichi is very prominent, being one of the easily very, very cool and super, super sleek character turning from a cat. And then the Nell also in the Aranko arc, which I turned out, which was like comic relief. And then turns out she was like part of the opposing team, just like um, Yoroichi. If people aren't familiar with Bleach, I'm sorry, this might not make any sense. But point is, there's like two leads that the main character Ichigo meets, and they turn out to be like really powerful um, women from the opposing force that ends up helping him. And there's a lot to say about the way Taikubo writes his, his females in his stories. I think I still personally I think Rukia is still a strong character. I mean, it, Rukia Rukia got the treatment twice in not only the first arc but then in the second arc too with the Thousand Year War thing or not the was the Thousand Year War? No, it was right before that. It was a it was when he went to that castle and he had to save her again. Um, 
That was that was that was Orihime. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but my point stands. Like it, it's it's still it's still like I think Rukia was is a strong character. I just think like the way she was portrayed could have been a lot better. Um, I mean, it got better after that arc. She, for Rukia at least, not so much for Orihime because Orihime ended up taking Rukia's position from the first arc. I think it's fine doing it once, but then it you know, it just has to do more of like the probably the issues to to do with weekly serializations and the pressures involved because we know Taikubo does have visions and he can write a story. It's evident from like, especially when it comes to how fleshed out a universe feels. Like these three, these three episodes that turn out, you know, if you add them together, it's like considered an entire movie. We already have a pretty, pretty well thought out universe for him to explore. And uh, it's, it's it, this is more of a conversation to like what happened to Bleach, right? But I do, I do, I'm going to just like stick to the fact that I, I personally think that he does write pretty okay female leads, especially when you're considering the other female leads in like Naruto or One Piece in comparison. Yeah, I guess that is true. And then to the fact like Nell, Nelly and Noel or Nini and Noel are pretty, pretty they're, they're, they're cool, dude. Like I know you mentioned slightly Nini and like, because she's like the first person that we meet, right? And her introduction. Mm-hmm. Could you go into that a bit more and like what you thought about it? Um, like how we got introduced in Nini immediately. Yeah, like what was she uh, doing? There's a few things I actually wanted to touch up on that. So the first thing is we know that Nini is a celebrity, and I think that's <laughs> like the way it was portrayed, right? Like the the London reverse London, but then like when Nini goes to like reverse use magic and goes to reverse London, she becomes just like a witch. To me, it kind of like emphasized that there's always two there's there's always another side to the same face or like two sides to the same coin, I think is the expression. Um, which I thought was kinda kinda sweet. I don't know. I've been thinking a lot about it recently. Especially with like Whenever, like, I've been talking to people, I've kind of started realizing, like, everyone's kind of, like, doing their own thing and battling their own demons. I think I think it was really cool how tight Kubo managed to show that in the first, like, episode, where, like, we see Nini. So we see, like, we it's very clear Nini is very popular, but it starts with her internal monologue, which I think is really cool because now, like, we've seen this really famous character. She's walking down an alley with a bunch of news reporters walking her. But now we see her thoughts and her, like, inner, like, feelings and everything and so we see those demons which i think is brilliant i think most like i i personally think like most anime should do that like we always get like internal monologuing with like there's always internal monologuing in a lot of anime but i think what makes an anime great usually when they when they try attempt to use that internal monologuing is separating the if this makes sense the face from the the consciousness i have no idea if that makes sense being able to use this internal monologuing as a way to drive the plot and the story not only in terms of like just plot development but also character development for that specific character uh, i think they did that really well Nini, because i feel like at the beginning we kind of saw that like those two faces right we saw like her famous but we also saw her like dark side like what she's going through and so we saw those demons and then we see how she kind of just like grows into this like like she like when mary comes in she realizes oh shit like i 
Like I care about this. And then you kind of start seeing like all those things, like her past life and then her, like her secret life, like her, like her demons are starting to connect with those, the farce that she puts up. So it's pretty cool. I like, I, I really enjoy that aspect of Nini um, specifically. Personally, Noelle is my favorite character, but like, I like Nini. That's cool. Uh, something else that I want to mention is that a lot of criticism that happens with um, Bleach is that you can't really tell what the theme of the story is. Well, you can automatically tell what the... I don't know. This might be a theme in general for Burn the Witch. But, or this might be a character arc, or rather this might be a, a truth of Nini, of how she sees the, the planet. One of the few things Burn the Witch has a lot to do with fairy tales. Uh, we should get that out of the way, right? Um, and Part of the monologue of Nini was that she was she was always thinking that fairy tales are just they're, they're full of shit, right? Yeah. That's what she was going with. Like, why is it that in every fairy tale the lead ends up just losing everything at the at the twenty third hour, right? Right before it's the most needed, the spell runs out, the 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 slipper comes out, everything falls apart, and it's like she's wondering like why does this keep happening? And rather. She's saying maybe that's the wrong question to ask. Maybe the question should be asking yourself is, why am I letting this happen? Because we know exactly why it's happening. And this is going to the themes that maybe Taikupa wants to explore, She's and which is reflective of Nini herself as a person. Nini doesn't believe that others should do things for you. She believes that if you want something done, if you want to accomplish it, don't ask others for help, do it yourself. Which is a double-edged sword, right? You definitely want to be able to do things for yourself because it it, it helps with your with your growth as a as a person. But at the same time, you have to know when to ask for help. But rather than this, I think Nini in her situation, she doesn't want to just be given a position of power or given given happiness. She wants to try and attain it herself, which is evident from how she sees fairy tales, and especially true when it comes to many fairy tales that we hear. Growing up, or like, if we go back and read these fairy tales, they usually end up just giving the person something, or in the in the situation where they're given something, it's eventually taken away from them. There's actually a there's actually a point in the anime with this like this is really prominently displayed. Um, remember when they're fighting Cinderella, and the dude with the cool thunder dragon, he's like, <laughs> <laughs> he was like, yeah, I can make you guys like rank up essentially and then he gives him this look and then at the end of the show he drops the charges to find brago and i think it's really interesting right and then they end up they still in the same place as they were they never ranked up and so that kind of shows like her persistence if anything yeah both her and the oh suits i uh, i mean there's a lot there's i not i didn't think we were going to talk this much about her in the witch but definitely really dense with content right uh Noel and Nini, they're both after different things. And they're selfish about it. It feels like they're selfish about it, right? They're in this position of when it comes, it's they're effectively helping the public, right? They're civil servants, but there's different things that they want. Nini is rich. She's rich because she's part of a band and she's a celebrity. So she doesn't need money, but she does want reputation and fame. And she gets that in reverse London. We didn't even talk about reverse London. Yeah, reverse London kind of silly. Okay, okay, we have to talk about that after this brief. Oh God, there's a lot of stuff. Cause there's a lot of stuff. Um. Okay. So Nini cares more about the the um the 
I don't I don't know if it's fame or the credit or the accolades when it comes to doing something good. So so that she raises her rank or whatever. But Noel doesn't care about that because she just wants to be a laid back person, just like not even in the highlight. But like she gets they're both very strong characters. It's not this isn't saying anything about like Noel just backs off at situations, right? Rather than Noel needs money to live because <laughs> she's not rich like Denny. So she does this and she's like, man, I didn't get any money from this. What the hell? It's so funny that their their supervisor is able, their supervisor is such a good supervisor, right? He knows exactly how to get his employees to do what he wants, but at the same time, in a way that's still beneficial for them, right? And what's really interesting about him is that Nini is really, she gets aggregated, right? Because some of the things that he's asking for are, he's asking a lot from them, right? He's like, can you come to work? on Saturday, can you take care of Braggle, even though technically it's not originally in your job description? And they're like, well, we can't take care of him because it's like none, it's not to our benefit. But then he's like, well, I really took care of that. I spoke to people and you do get paid more and you get more credit for doing this. So they're like, oh, sweet, sweet. All right, cool. We'll go get Braggle right now. But even when that happens, Nini, there was a situation where Nini like tosses some of the paperwork down, but he doesn't get mad, right? Because at the end of the day, she's still doing what he asked her to do. He's like, if it's, if this is what it takes for like to you to do this, even if it's kind of rude, I'm not gonna make a scene about it because at the end of the day, I know what I'm doing is is a lot. Is I'm asking a lot from you, and if this is what you need to get some of that, like like slight resentment. It's not like she completely hates her boss, right? The slight uh, annoyance that comes with the job. He's fine with it. He's like, ah oh, man, you did that. And he he banters with them too. He's, he really knows. He's a really good employer is what I'm trying to get at. And it's very evident from these small interactions that Kubo had going with him. He's more of a jokester. And it turns out he's also pretty capable, effectively, in the organization. His position is a mystery so far. But he's in a... It's cool that he decided to be the supervisor for a lower-end organization or a sector within the organization. We're also giving him he's the son of a hero, so that's kind of... Yeah, he's the son of a hero, so he's like, that's his epithet, which is given, which was revealed to us by one of the higher-ups, which is a colleague of um, of the main, one of the main guys. So she is another person that's similar to him that deals with um, with, with their own sector. So he's, his epithet is son of, son of, son of a hero, or son of the hero, which is really interesting, which makes us wonder what's, what's a hero in this universe? So it's great that we both know what Nini and, and Noel are interested in when it comes to this job and this profession. But it's also interesting to know what what their employer is and what kind of person he is to permit their both their personalities to shine within their jobs, as well as permitting us a pretty welcoming work environment, all things considered. So really like his character. I think his character is really interesting. But I, we should probably talk about where exactly they are, right? We mentioned they're in London, right? But so far, people listening to this podcast are thinking, how is London ha- happening? And there's dragons all around. It's an urban supernatural fantasy, just like just like Beach, right? So people, like regular people like me and Akil, for example, wouldn't see these dragons because we have no magic or like no reaction or whatever. They- I'd like to think I have magic. I'd like to think if I was part of this world or part of the world of Bleach, I would have magic. But... Uh... <laughs> I guess in the real world, no. Yeah. So effectively, it's like that, right? Reverse London is this weird magical realm, or like very supernatural realm, 
where it's the exact flip of London, but you just live in a different dimension, which is very, which just harkens back to one of the one of the points that was never really further elaborated within Bleach. The last arc, the Thousand Year Blood arc, has the Quincy's and they're hiding in the shadows of um, Soul Society, and that was never explained. It turns out that's just a normal thing that you can just have a different dimension be the exact same one as the one that's in the front side, but just in the back door of it. And Reverse London is, is, is exactly that, but like for a different different thing. Yeah. So that's really cool. Reverse London, there's people who live there, right? So technically the population of this, of this planet Earth is a lot higher, I would imagine, because like the quote-unquote hidden citizens from the front face of the entire population. And they live here because they have a, an amount of magic, so they're able to see dragons. And it's in this it's in this place where people like like Wingbind, the organization that or the sector that um, Nini and Noel are part of, they do their job. And so that's where that's where Reverse London is, and that's where Nini ended up going after she like got away from the paparazzi in the first scene. She went to Reverse London to take up a job, and something that was really cool is that when she got there, Noel's already trying to do a job. Because she gets more money if she takes care of the job by herself. So that was like, and Minnie was late technically. So she was like, all right, I can leave now, do my job. So that's a lot to talk about. We're, we're getting, through, getting through the first episode. Now we're moving on to probably the second episode, right? And, and anything you want to mention? No, I think you touched upon everything that I think we should have talked about or we should talk about in the first episode. I think we mentioned most of it. I think, well, we also, we kind of did touch upon the second and third episode, but the second episode was kind of following the whole, like, interplay between Nini and Mary before, like, all that, everything went down, went to shit. So, well, like, we should definitely talk more about that. So, Macy is, Nini is a part of a band, right? And Macy's one of the lead singers. And I think uh, I'll, let, I'll let you, Nikhil, talk more about Macy because, because it seems like Macy is also part of the whole theme situation. Or she's ex- in a fairy tale, you know, she meets a situation, but technically she doesn't have any like power. That that power or that that level of interest comes from this object. It's like Brago. Definitely like Brago. But Brago doesn't care about being made leader character or anything. Brago is living his life, man. He doesn't care about any of it. Yeah. He's, he's, he's so happy. And Mary is in a similar situation, which I think why is why Nini felt so much empathy for her. Yeah. All right. So yeah, go ahead and talk about the Macy situation or Mary. One of those two. Uh, I think it is Macy. I I mean I might be tripping. Uh, I think I think her character is good, but also like it was definitely it was definitely it was it was a good character to have because one it addressed the plot point that was brought up in the first episode between her and Mary because that was that like. Going back to what I was talking about in the first episode, the the difference between the demon and the farce, right? She was like that farce that I think Nini wanted to let go. Um, and she was that person that like believed so hard in attaining what she wanted. She was effectively Cinderella, if you think about it. So I think I think her basically raising Cinderella is really cool. Um, spoiler, Cinderella is the name of a dragon, who is a mythical creature um, among dragons, in fact. Um, 
that we'll get to in season three in, in the third episode when we discuss it. But um, for now, I think it's really cool. One that Macy was chosen to raise um, the most broken dragon of them all, basically. Um, and she like she wanted to be someone so badly that she kind of like became she did like she unintentionally did. She was alone. She was trying to find her way in life. And I think, again, this is going back to my conversation about Nini, where like everyone's trying to fight their own demons. We kind of see that even though Macy was in a successful band, making a shit ton of money, she was still lonely. She had no friends. She was still like clinging on to Nini effectively and was extremely overprotective. She was kind of battling her own things. And then like Cinderella coming along really kind of like Cinderella became that, like, oh, wow, like, now I'm special. Like, raising a dragon is crazy. Like, no one knows what I'm going through, blah, blah, blah. So I think her character was really good for that reason. I also liked how she was kind of brought into the story. Like, it was really random, which I think might be off-putting to a lot of people because she was just shown in a building. Like, we knew who she was when we saw her because she was mentioned in the first episode. But, like, it was really random when we did see her. But I liked how, like, we kind of saw, like, all of her personality traits, like, right off the bat within five minutes. Like, we saw her be, like, all nice. And then we saw her, like, throw a temper tantrum. And then we saw her, like, we saw, like, all three of those. So I thought that was a really cool way to show a character really quickly. Because now we saw everything, like, that we needed to know about her. And then as as the episode went on, we kind of saw more of her backstory and everything. Like, why she ended up the way she was. And I think that con- that, con- that connection with Nini, that relationship with, N- with Nini specifically, I think was really important. I think not only was Nini the f- character we first saw, but in a lot of ways, we can consider Nini, be- Nini to be the main character of the show. You can definitely argue that Noelle and Nini are the main characters. But in my opinion, I think the show really does focus on Nini because Nini feels like the central focus to a lot of what's happening right now, like what was happening in those three episodes. So I think it's it was pretty cool the way they kind of like made Nini's like exterior like like masked world, aka like real London, come into contact with her demons or like what she's going through in the alternate London. So like bringing Macy in kind of made both those worlds collide, and then it made Macy feel like special, right? Because she brought him, she brought her into this like world that was super intimate to uh, Nini specifically. And she's like, whoa, like now I'm part of this too. And it's kind of sick. Yeah, exactly. So that was a, that was a review on like episode two that the, this band member of Nini was also in reverse London. And she's like really surprised because she, she's not supposed to be here. From what she knows, she wasn't a resident from reverse London. But the fact that she's here means something is going on. I really like that because the situation, the location where Macy ended up effectively committing terrorism is this tabloid location that wrote a wrote an awful paper about Nini. Nini doesn't care because it happens often, right? It's like, it's whatever. But Macy started to attack this building and something unique about reverse london is that if you attack anything in reverse london it affects actual london but the pe- the way that regular people would see it, it would just be random explosions like a poltergeist event 
so she was destroying it and because she was trying to like send a message or whatever. I don't know. She wasn't she wasn't in like a right state of mind. So she was doing some things that might have might have been out of character. And the person that brought her in was Bang 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 Knife, the guy I was talking about who was who is one of the lead leaders of a sector called Inks, which is similar to by we don't actually know how they intersect but we know like within many organizations there's like different sectors that focus on different different situations or aspects of the of the prime mission so we know that he leads one of them called the inks and i know you mentioned that that when the when the when we learned about cinderella and this mythical dragon appearing and how they had to switch gears or switch priorities he was like to know el nini saying that if you help me out i'll 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 accept you into inks and I give you a good position, which they both promptly refused. They didn't actually say it. Rather, one of them, I think Nini was like, I don't I don't think I ever even asked you for that. And then Noah just stayed quiet because <laughs> Noah just doesn't need to talk. Which is great. That was enough because she wasn't. But he got he got the message that like they're, they're hoping, but they don't expect any reward from him like at all. It's like part of their job, so it doesn't matter. So Bang Knife ended up bringing Macy over because he wanted to frame Braggle. And that was part of the plan, right? It was. He made a situation while it didn't make complete sense. And we it was definitely a working that he made happen. He could spin it to the public to be very positive for his um, benefit so that he could then eliminate Braggle because Braggle is bringing, is attracting only these dark dragons, which is causing havoc. And it's, a, it's an issue for the safety of the citizens. So he removes Braggle, he gets credit for that, but it turns out that the person that he ended up finding, which is related to Nini, right? And the dragon that she was raising turns out to be um, one of the, the prime seven dragons have been terrorizing London for God since like before the Wingbine organization even began, and they're they they they're like well known and they're document documented almost to the point that they're considered legends, right? Because they don't actually they don't show themselves to the public very often. So it's amazing that Cinderella, which is the name of the dragon, showed itself to the public, and. They get cool. It's really cool that, that Taikubo did this. They're named after these fairy tales, right? They're named after like seven fairy tales. I don't, I don't know them at the top of my head. The ones that he decided to pick, and I think it's definitely evident that he picked each one of these after reading into them, right? Because Cinderella, you even mentioned it, of course. Macy fits Cinderella's story a lot, and I think it's going to be thematically each one of these dragons are going to bring a new character that he's going to use the fairy tale to explore a bit of what they are and, and what he wants to say within that within that arc. I think it's kind of cool how Taikubo like uses primarily Western stories or Western like nonfiction stories to portray each of these mythical dragons. So we see like he outlined all some of some of them. There was like one from the Grim Story Tales, there's one from Cinderella, there's one like Snow White. Like we see all of them from like these and it's funny that they're Disney specifically, but that's another that's another thing for another time. I think it's I think it's kind of cool that he cho again chooses to use these like Western representations 
to kind of portray his dragons, who are already like Western dragons. Pretty cool. It's a small thing out there. I like it. It's a, it's a small detail. Big fan of it. I think it's going to be, it's going to, um, So there's a lot, there's a lot that you can do with these dragons. So Cinderella, and I love, I love the the legend and like the thought that went into Cinderella itself. This dragon that's like in it's now in reverse in reverse London, Cinderella itself, in addition to the regular fairy tale, right? Of the that we are very familiar with due to Disney. Cinderella, the dragon itself, gets the name because it's not always this very imposing, terrifying dragon. There's certain traits about Cinderella. The dragon that it has that are very unique to it right and bang bang knife was able to notice these traits when the dragon wasn't in its complete cinderella form because cinderella only becomes cinderella when during the nighttime right during this like specific time of the day where it molds and it gets these like this white fleece like that white like wearing a white gown or whatever and the other thing that it does is that it turns invisible just like the prince when he was trying to find Cinderella, Cinderella completely vanished. So there's a lot of aspects and we can actually understand why the people of, of old England would have named these dragons after these fairy tales because there's unique, there's unique traits that they represent that are very reflective of these fairy tales. This is great, which is, which is a very good touch. And another great touch was that Noel only knows about Cinderella because when she was younger, either her parents or she read these fairy tales and one of the one of the funniest things, which, which I found really interesting, right, which says a lot about literature in general and how it's recorded, was that she mentioned how Cinderella, when when Cinderella expands their wings, and everything's shrouded in light or, or revealed in light, and what that turned out to be in real life was that when, she, when her feathers or whatever something comes out of her feathers, they're effectively bumps. And so when they land, they explode. So it is it is engulfed in light, but they weren't specific. So we had the people who were reading these legends had no idea what that meant. And it was great how Nini was like they could have been a bit more specific when they were saying that because it says a lot about literature and how people record it, and that turns out to be the definitive truth and like what it means to be to be true and not. So it's great that we were able to see the contrast between what what Noel read and what was actually reality. Oh, for sure. I think at the end of the day, it's like definitely up to interpretation. I think if anything, that was definitely pretty much emphasized. Yeah, for sure. That might be another theme that Taiku wants to go for. We don't entirely know. Uh, it's up to him. It's and and we'll see what happens with that. So after they had after they like dealt with with um bang knife and they got away from him eventually it turned night and then cinderella came up revealed itself and then bang knife was like all right i need your help so now we're getting close to the end of episode three where they're gonna finally take care of cinderella which is crazy right something that like i found that was slightly anticlimactic but may be revealed later on to be very important is that these representation of the dark dragons like we as far as we're familiar, dark dragons are, it's very black and white, right? If it's a dark dragon, we just, we have to remove it. It's not even worth discussing. But they're still animals, and they've been living for a long time. Cinderella is taken out in this movie by the end of episode three or whatever, however you want to say it. 
But what's really cool is that Cinder, I, I think, I think I'll let you talk about the the uh, mini the um, not mini the Macy situation with Cinderella, where Macy is still slightly in a situation where she's um, hysteric. I wouldn't say hysterical because that's insensitive, but rather she cares about she cares yeah. about Cinderella because she raised her. I mean, like that's it's a very human driven concept, right? Like you care about it, you raise like. When you raise something, you care about it, and you put love and like thought and effort into it. So when Cinderella went batshit crazy, I mean, like, shit. Um, that was like the, I think, so I always, so up till then, I never really understood why they were trying to kill the dragons. All, like, I'll bite that ro- one rogue dragon, which was like, eh, it wasn't a huge deal. But... And then, like, when we got Cinderella, I kind of, like... And then that was cool. I think for Macy as well, I think when she got into this world, she didn't really understand, like, the implications of what was actually happening. And so she thought she was special, right? She thought she was Cinderella. And then she kind of saw, like, well, these dragons are not good. And it's very clear when Cinderella literally bombed the entire city. She pretty much destroyed half of London. And so, like, when she saw that and then she was okay with Cinderella dying, I think that was a pivotal moment for Macy specifically. Because she kind of understood, like, okay. Like, they're not great. <laughs> yeah, like, she can see why there's an organization dedicated to controlling these um, dragons. Because they are dangerous. But I'm not entirely sure if Macy was okay with, you know, Cinderella dying. But rather, she just, I mean, there's nothing she can do, right? She's effectively powerless. And Nini is doing her best to protect her friend. And they're in a very losing situation because this is a legendary dragon that they're dealing with. And no one's actually met this dragon in centuries. So there's not, I mean, even, even um, what's that dude called? Yeah, even Bagknife, like he did everything he could, which was very, um, I was, I was impressive. We got to see what kind of, what kind of magic, like what kind of fighting style he deals with, which is cool. But that did absolutely nothing. Even their the combined efforts with um, Noel and Nini, which they com- with both with all three of them combined, were able to encase Cinderella in this like prison. Which if if Cinderella would you know blast blast like I don't know some fire breath or some explosion whatever thing within that in within that case, it would all reflect back into Cinderella. Which would you would imagine that it would kill anything, right? Especially in a very tight and close, enclosed um, area. That explosion would have mass recoil and effects to whoever is in that is in that situation. So Cinderella took the like champ and completely destroyed that um that prison and no not a single scratch. So it was really cool how we got to see how Noel and um and Nini worked together. Like their teamwork is impeccable. They might not have the firepower to, you know, match Cinderella or even match Bang Knife, but their coordination is like in another level, which is really interesting. And I think like even those two together, I honestly think that we don't know how capable they are, but they look pretty capable. Like from from the first showing, like they weren't they were totally in control. They had they were calm throughout the entire situation because I, I, I don't, I, I do not think I would have been okay with it. And they're like, they have a lot of things going for them in their arsenal. 
all things considered, for some for like a division that isn't focused in fighting, they do a really well job at fighting. I know Nini, for example, she wants to get transferred into the the saber the saber class, which only deals with dark dragons and controlling these dark dragons. Because in the situation that they're in right now, they like they they take care of tasks for other dragons and they get like natural resources from those dragons for for whatever patron they're, 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 that they have a task for. And Noah doesn't even care about joining the Sabres, but Nini does because you know they, they're different people and they have their own ambitions and whatnot. So the situation with Cinderella, you know, she attacks Min, like she attacks um, Macy, right? But this is where this is where something really cool happens. It's that a, a plot point that, that we didn't actually address was Balgo and the fact that in that moment he had a piper and he had a a cowl, right, to fit to fit the uniform of Nini and Noel. And that pipe was given to him by their supervisor, right? And that pipe in that moment transformed into a sword. And they had no idea what the hell was going on. But that that sword caused Cinderella, her, like their eyes to go like from a tinted red, which is reflecting like a berserker mode or whatever, to uh to like the regular eye color that they had with Macy. Which like the, their eye color might have shifted because the reason Cinderella kept chasing them was because she kept looking for Balgo, right? Because he's an he's a dragon clad, and the unique trait about dragon clads that we're aware of is that they always attract dragons, specifically dark dragons. So she's looking for Brago for some reason. I don't know. It's like, you mentioned genealogy. He reflects a dragon. Like we don't know what the hell that means mm-hmm. for the other dragons. Maybe like they see him as a mate. I don't know. They're technically animals, but there's an attraction that Balgo has to these dragons. Cinderella goes to them, and the moment that that pie turns into a sword, Cinderella stops stops attacking. Nothing happens, and then and then right then and there she gets killed. Slightly anticlimactic. Um, the legend that Noel mentioned was that if you break the horn crown of Cinderella, Cinderella dies. Which makes me, which makes it's really curious, right? How did the legend know that specific? That specific weakness of Cinderella, because it sounds like that means that there was other Cinder- Cinderellas that they had to kill to then know that that's a thing. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So that that like opens another wave of discussions, like what what these dark dragons or what these dragons actually are. If we already have information like that, it's available to the public. Mm-hmm. But it worked, right? Um, and it turns out that the person that ended up like, killing Cinderella was their supervisor, was Nini and all supervisor. And he just like, I don't know what he did. He like shot a spirit gun at it from, from like a mile away. I'm not going to lie. That entire sequence I thought was kind of like weird. Um, as much as I praise the show, there are a few criticisms I have and that's one of them. Like the way that that was portrayed, just I felt like didn't make any sense. Obviously, it's because, like, there were so many unanswered questions. So, like, it was, like, okay. I mean, like, like we were ready for, like, a really badass moment, but, like, then nothing happened. I really wish if they were going to make it that way that at least we got a moment between Macy and Cinderella. We never really got that. She just, like, tried to kill Macy at one point. That's it. It would have been really cool that when, like, Cinderella kind of turned good, like, her and Macy have a moment, but then she did, like, she gets shot and dies 
Like, I feel like that would have been good because then it would have been not only jarring, but it would have been like heart wrenching. And then we would have seen emotion. And I, like, we didn't see that. It was just like, bingo, bingo, bongo, we're done. And I was like, okay. Again, I think, I think, I think overall, like, this is this criticism should not take away from how good the show is. What I think it does is, as much as both you and me praise the show, I'm just worried that they'll go this route. And then, also, part of my language, but fuck up the pacing down the line. Those are like my two biggest concerns right now because I think the show as is has the potential to be insane. Like it has so like it has bleach level potential after the Soul Society arc easily. But my issue is like how Taikubo chooses to go about the story now and how he wants to write out the characters and flush out those details and really like emphasize his characters and like bring in more emotional light to these characters and have them like more developed. And then more than that, obviously there's the pacing of the story and how like they want to go about the fight sequences instead of like, like in bleach, it's really, I feel like the contrast is really funny because in bleach, the flights were really, really, really dragged out. Like one fight could go for like up to 50 episodes, but then like in this show, I mean, yeah, in the show, there was only three episodes, right? It was effectively a movie. So it happened like one, two, three done. And so if they're going to go, I think they should go a show route instead of a movie route personally. But if they choose to go to the, the movie route again and split it up into episodes, I hope they add more episodes to the movie. Because I think, like, it would add more to the pacing of the story. And more than that, we could get these really emotional, sentimental moments that I think Macy should be justified to have. And it would have added to the story. It wouldn't have subtracted anything. I think it would have made it, like, way better. So, like, my biggest criticism of the show, I think, was that last fight and the future pacing of the show because of it. But I have high hopes for it, man. I think it's an overall, like, pretty great show. I don't say anything bad about it, so. I agree, man. The, um, honestly, all things considered, because this is, like, the serialization just began. Taikubo needed to captivate the audience so it might need more to do with he needs to both prove himself to shonen jump as the publishing company that he's still an author that merits to have around and also merits to have around in a way that he wants to be there and although i agree with you that the like things just happen like, like just they just happen in that situation and i would have also enjoyed a macy situation i also think if I have to play devil's advocate here, there might be something along the lines that you mentioned. Taikubo definitely wants to probably split himself from what happened in Bleach, where he like ended up focusing too much on the fights. And he's he definitely shines more when he's like focusing on characters and what they represent. That's evident of like Nelly and Noel and like how well they constructs one another. And in that situation, like Taikubo has ambition. Like, he even when he was like in Shonen Jump writing Bleach, he always wanted to just continue to climb up the, lead, the leaderboard and like make one day compete with like One Piece. He's gone to, he's even, he, we've had like records saying that he would like hope he wants to be ahead of One Piece one day, but it got to him eventually. So he couldn't do it. So he has ambition. He, he wants to say something, he wants to tell a story. And he definitely doesn't want to make the mistake like someone like Kishimoto did, where his Samurai 8, it was published and then it got canceled. That's not going to happen for him. He doesn't want that. So the situation where while the Macy situation, I would have enjoyed it more 
if it was fleshed out. There is also a lot of meaning behind the fact that she thought how the universe worked isn't exactly how it happened. Like you're not, you're not the main character. You're not important. You need to find your own worth and you need to find it for yourself. And there's not going to be an external, external force that's going to give you that sense of self-worth. And the fact that this, what she thought might've been a situation that gives her worth, right? And this mythical dragon is just taken away from her right then and there, abruptly, says a lot about what Nini mentioned in the beginning, right? In the situation, like, why does, why is it at the 23rd hour that the gifts that you were granted are taken away from you? And it's, it's thematically, it's interesting because it goes back to that. And that's how I ended up interpreting it. But I do agree with you with, that the pacing was slightly off. And that is reflective, not only as us, the audience, but rather it's even the characters involved, right? All of a sudden, Braggle gets a sword from the pipe and it's shining. He's like, what the hell is this? And then they're like, I thought you knew. And at that same situation where they're also confused, completely calm, right? Everything gets calm because Cinderella stops rampaging. And it's in that moment when Cinderella is not a monster that it's taken out by their supervisor, who's like miles away. And that's that's it in there. It's done. And just the carcass is there. It's left to clean up. And then Bang Knife goes and asks the supervisors to remove to remove the punitive order against Bagel. And he writes a report saying that the reason why I'm suggesting this is because Balgo might be our might be a way for us to finally get rid of these um, these Marchin, which is Marchin is the fairy tale in German, right? Marchin is the the title or the category of the seven dragons that are given to them. So Cinderella is considered a Marchin, which is a unique dark dragon. So why I do agree with your with what you mentioned because it's something definitely something for us to worry about, right? For the future of of Burn the Witch in general. If we wanted, if we would, if if Burn the Witch wants to be anything noteworthy, so that's that. I mean, that's what I have to say about that specific, like one of the final scenes before we end up wrapping things up. Uh, what do you got to say now that you heard my my opinions on that? Um, I do want to add to one point. I think when you said um the emotional thing for Macy, I thought that was a really good point, but I also think that. Macy interacting with Cinderella would have been would have taken that like moment and elevated it way more, right? It would have shown her that like it really would have shown her and us as the viewer that like the way you view like you're not the main character in the story, and so like I I I really wish that was included. But you're again you bring up a good point. I think we discussed this a while ago uh, when the manga was first uh, when the manga first came out. I don't think Taikubo wants another bleach situation. <laughs> and I feel like it's very obvious. So it's very clear that like this anime was meant to really just captivate the audience. And so I, I feel, I personally feel like Taikubo hasn't that successfully. I think, I think by doing that successfully, he was able to, um, he's definitely going to be able to garner an audience much quicker. But I also think that down the line, it would be, it would be interesting to see how he's going to play off this pacing parallel, like pacing difference between like the first two episodes and the last episode. And I think like, I'm hoping that for the next season, we'll see like 
he'll start smoothing it out. Cause like, I feel like by then he'll start having like, cause we, we do know that in the first, the first season, essentially they weren't going to renew it unless he had success. So like, it was, it was very clear that it was, it was going to be tight no matter what. So like, I, I don't fault him for that. Like, I'm like, okay, that's fine. Like personally, like it's whatever. I don't care. I'm just worried that like from here on out, he'll stick to the pacing of the third episode. And I really don't want that to happen because I think each of these characters deserve to be flushed out. And when they do, I feel like it'll add to the plot and story significantly more than it already does. So, Yeah, but I agree entirely with everything you just said. I'm hoping that because another prominent author within Shonen Jump's like arsenal of authors that they have at their disposal is Togashi. Similar, and I feel like Kai Kubo can be, can get in a situation of Togashi, or he can come, write what he wants, leave, and think about his story. Because Togashi can do this and has been doing this for years because of how how much weight Hunter Hunter has for the publishing company when it comes to you know, getting, getting, getting money effectively, getting money. And Ty Kubo, with what, what he did with Bleach, they gave him a second shot, but it seems like maybe this situation is just very different, right? It's not a weekly thing, like what most other authors is. It's a, when I have a story, I'll give it to you. You publish it. I leave. I come back. I feel like that's what's going to happen. And I feel that that might help the situation with the pacing. Mm-hmm. And if it doesn't, that's like a double-edged sword for Taikubo. There's like no falling back on that. That's like, that's just us as the audience seeing that, hey, this guy, not the best writer, I guess. He just can't do it. Doesn't have what it takes. But it's a it's a it's an interesting situation with like I think many authors envies what Taikubo might actually have with Shonen Jump. I don't have anything going for me besides the fact that he's able to do to release these things in seasons, which is crazy, which is exciting because it's also different. Oh, well, we'll, we'll see what happens with it. Yeah, I definitely think there's a lot of direction that it can go for. That's what I'm. That's what I mean by potential, right? I think, like, whether it's good or bad potential, I think there's a lot of potential within the show. So I think it can it can explode and it could be like one of the next big things, but it can also just deteriorate insanely after this next season. I think not. We do know that Tai Kubo is now given a lot of free range and really do whatever he wants, and I think that's important. So now he's going to really explore that, I think, with the future of Burn, uh, Burn the Witch. Overall, I think the show is excellent. I think it does have some low points that don't aren't really like super low that I feel like a lot of other shows have. But it feels like for not only like an original, but like a like a one shot, it was really well done. I enjoyed it a lot, and I think it has so much potential, um, good or bad. I would like to think good. Um, that can really be kind of hammered home. So I'm excited for it, man. I think I think it'll be a good one, and I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Aesthetically, I also think Brenda Witch just looks cool, dude. There's no denying it. Like, it's got a lot of Taikuba style. I think in the manga, my, my sister is a big... What's super cool is that she, when I was talking to her about like, Taikuba, because she's also a fan, is that one of the things that he ended up doing that was very controversial when he did it was that after Bleach was... You know, the final chapter ended, right? 
Tony Hump announced that there's going to be like five extra pages for like the last chapter within the volume release or something like that, right? We were excited. The fans were thinking, oh, I wonder what kind of things like Tai Kubo wants to say to wrap up the story. But what Tai Kubo decided to do with those final pages is that, and you can look this up because I don't actually remember what it was, but it was mostly empty. Mm-hmm. Like it was, he was trying to like send a message, which is very reflective of like, I think this might be what the title was about. Because the title, Bleach, right? Bleach, it's to wipe something out. Right? You, you, you think it's like it removes color, it removes um, content. And it's very reflective of what he ended up using as his style, which is he draws in a way that doesn't have details in the background, like, like very many details, but he focuses more on contrasting of like a white panel to his drawings. And these last few pages, I think it's like it's a message. And effectively, most of it is just white. It's just there's nothing on the page itself. It's very mm-hmm. minuscule. And I think that's one of the things that he's carrying on with, with Burn the Witch and with his art style in general. It's this, it's this contrast of detail with almost nothing, which I think as an artist is really, is really cool. And that, that's more to do with like the actual manga. That's not, not in, and more to do with Taikubo as an artist rather than the content of Burn the Witch, which is oh, it's just so crazy that at the end of the day, what ended up being very reflective of his style has a lot to can be described in the title of his first highly, you know, his first I like very super popular work, Bleach, which we never learned what Bleach the title meant. Like there's like some there's like some discussion. Like I'm sure you can find like a pretty good explanation for like what Bleach means, right? But like it's not evident if you just read the title and read the story. You can think about something. It's not like it's not Naruto where like it's the name of the main character, or it's not One Piece where it's the name of the treasure. It's just Bleach, and you don't know what that means. But I think if I had to, if I had to say something, it's I would say Bleach ended up being very reflective of how Taikubo draws in his art style. It's just crazy to think about, and I'm not too sure if I'm like onto something or if I'm just talking out of my ass. Hmm. Huh. I think you bring up a good point, like, with a lot of these kind of animes in general, right? Like, they they have, like, a title or something that kind of just, like, helps kind of push a certain narrative for the overall show. Like you said, Bleach. Yeah. I mean, I feel like a lot of really great animes kind of have that. So it's always kind of sick to... I don't want to get into the conundrum of Bleach in this episode, honestly, and, like, my thoughts and feelings towards it, but I think Bleach as an anime is something that I think will go down in history as one of the greatest anime of all time solely because of the impact that it's had, if anything. I think, like, the story might be dog shit, but I think that because of the impact it's had on the anime community and, like, literally everyone in the world in the not only in the anime world but like even people who don't know anything about anime know bleach it's like it means something right so it's like one of those anime that's like ah you hate to hate it (laughs) you hate to hate it yeah it's crazy because like bleach their fan base are overall pretty swell people i think if you have to compare them they're less toxic than the i think that i think 
Okay, we can talk about toxicity later in terms of family. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. Um, there's, I mean, I guess I, I'm just gonna like plug in a random person. Like Super Eye Patch Wolf made a Bleach, the follow Bleach five years later, and within the first like 30 minutes, there's a section where he does an amazing job at pinpointing all of the strong suits of Bleach in the first arc, and like summarizes so well. And then he like briefly goes and says, and this is why it got really crazy. Just like some of the points that I ended up. And that message like mentioning here is that Taikubo, you know, probably due to the constraint of a weekly serialization, ended up repeating a lot of the um, thematic points of the first arc into the Aranka arc, but just a lot worse because the first arc phenomenal and Super Eye Patchwork does a really good job of going into it. But I think that's all we have to say about Burn the Witch and maybe Taikubo for now. Mm -hmm. At the end, of, I mean, like we should probably like we we did, we did mention right towards the beginning. The last scene is like Noel hugging. Raggle and then chasing him afterwards. And then we we learned that yes, Burn the Witch is associated with um Bleach. Specifically, Wingbind is the West Soul Society section. Soul Society or the West Soul Society wing or whatever. And that's like evident from from like this entrance that they have in there. The universe is shared. I can we can talk more about like what that means later, for example. I have some things to mention. I know I've mentioned to you about it, but it most of it just ends up going down to speculation and like to real, you know, to real world situations. For example, like Kubo, there was an epilogue, but like a like novel form that was written by the Yogami. Some it's the author of Bakano because the that that author is a big fan of Bleach, so he got in contact with Sony Yogami. He got in contact with the correct people to ask for permission to write a story of an epilogue of Bleach, spoke a bit with Taikubo, and then wrote a story because he likes he likes Bleach. So that person ended up adding a bit more to the lore of the universe of Bleach, which is, which is unexpectedly relevant for Burn the Witch, if there's going to be any continuity involved with it. Of course, I think Taikubo, whatever Taikubo ends up saying, ends up becoming canon. But I think it'd be interesting to see if Taikubo actually references anything within that novel or anything about the other stuff, because it does have repercussions when it comes to like just talking about it as a fan and what it means to be living or to of the Bleach universe or the type this Taikubo universe. But that's that was the ending of it. We did learn it with the last scene, or close to this last scene, there was another section where we learned more of the character of their supervisor and like what kind of person he is. Super cool dude, by the way. At the end of the day, they helped to take care of a march, which is a legendary dragon. But that legendary dragon also demolished a ton of ton of buildings and real estate in the area, which ended up having which is another cool thing is that there's like dragon insurance. That the people pay in their taxes. So if a dragon destroys something, they get reimbursed and it gets like fixed, right? And in this situation, the marching situation, the people who took care of that would generally you would expect a reward, right? But as it turns out, after after everything is balanced, the ch check stubs are in, they were just slightly above positive, going for a plus five in dollars or plus five in currency or status which is really cool he was super excited about it but his employers employees were like why are we why are we getting almost nothing and something else that, that was really cheeky about him right 
was that, well, I thought you said, and then he read, reads the report, and like the last hit was made by, um, by, what's that guy's name? <laughs> by, uh, give me a sec. By Bang Knife, the, the, the guy that they were like dealing with. And then Nini was like, he didn't hit them either, right? She adds either. And then he responds with, so you also didn't do anything about finishing the dragon. And she's, and then at that point, she's like, oh, I, I can't say anything. Which is funny because we, we as the audience know that the person who ended up, you know, taking care of the dragon was he himself. Yeah. So that's really cool that he doesn't care about like reputation, which says a lot about him as a person because effectively we do know that he's a son of a hero, which adds a lot of, a lot of um, like what kind of person living in a shadow of your like your parents. That's a lot, and at the same time, you would imagine like you would like to make a name for yourself. But he grew up, or his character, because his character is fully fledged now. You would imagine his character is very fleshed out now that he's like kind of getting to his twilight twilight years. He definitely looks older from his design. So that's that means like at this point of his life, he doesn't want recognition, mm -hmm. which is which says a lot about like who is this person, like what is his family. What does what does it mean to of, of this universe? So it's really cool. He's gonna probably take the fact that he took down that dragon to his grave. I don't see him telling that to anyone. Or if he does tell it to anyone, I don't see him wanting to have any any recognition about it. But later on, we learned that Macy, fortunately, she's going to remain part of the part of the uh, part of the crew. Being, being another dragon clad, just a, a minor case of dragon clad, because she was around a dragon for like a couple, like a month or so, or, or, or whatever. So her situation is minor than Braggle, but they still need to take care of Macy. And Macy's super excited because she gets to be with Nini, gets to finally like experience Reverse London, and then start a new life effectively after she leaves her after she leaves the band. Yeah. Um, Different from Bragg's situation because Brago was in contact with a dragon for approximately a decade. Like the dragon was his best friend, effectively, if the one shot is to be taken canon. And for this, all intents and purposes, I'm going to be taking it as canon at the moment. And I think close to the last scene was Bang Knife going to the going to supervisors and saying we should keep Brago because he you know, he attracts these dark dragons and he also managed to attract. Marchin, a Marchin, and they were able to explain the situation with Macy, saying that he, quote unquote, he attracted Marchin, right? But he was able to, and this might go back to his narrative skills, right? He was able to learn that Brago ended up contacting Macy two months prior, which shows another another scene with Brago. He gives his umbrella to Macy, a random person, because she didn't have it, and then he just ran away because he didn't want her to give back the umbrella because he was. He's a nice guy. He just wanted to make sure she was not gonna remain wet. So he gives him her umbrella. She accepts it. But Bang Knife takes this as an opportunity to say because because Brago got in contact with Macy. Macy had a bit of dragon clad in her, which attracted Cinderella, and that's what in a roundabout way. Yeah. I feel like that that story was completely bullshit. <laughs> um <laughs> He made it up because I think he might have. I definitely think he like because we know he's not against. Like I'm, I'm telling you, like I that that that's the reason why I think. Uh, going back to your point about uh, uh, mini, uh, mini, yeah, Kenny, 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 
why do I keep? Oh my god. Okay. Um, going back to my point about Annie, uh, when we talked about how she doesn't believe in fairy tales, she believes in like hard work and working towards what you want, right? I feel like that story kind of connects to her, right? Because it, it kind of emphasizes like, yeah, they they clearly they, that was the favor they wanted. They wanted Brego alive, and they got that. So. Yeah. I don't know. It feels like that's what they wanted and that's what they got, but so it doesn't feel like they actually like I don't know. I just feel like it makes sense. Yeah, definitely. It's a but yeah, this is as far as we know, this is what Bang Knife reported, right? We don't know if it's true or not. Maybe it's true, maybe not. But that was enough to convince the higher ups to remove the punitive war, so Brigo is effectively no longer wanted as a dark dragon because he's classified not as a human. But they could mm-hmm. effectively hunt him. But that's removed. So from now on, we, they're going to see if we can use Braggle. We'll learn more about you know, their supervisor. What's his deal? Yeah, that's 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 Burn the Witch. We mostly went back and just... I ended up doing most of that, which I might have you know, cut off into what you wanted to say. So sorry about that. But and I was excited. I, I'm a big fan of Taiko. It's one of the first... Animes. I remember. I still have a memory where I end up. I didn't know my brother watched the anime, but I liked it. But I didn't get to watch it often because it was late at night. So when I went to visit him, when he was like living with my grandparents, and he had a computer, which I thought was super cool, and he was watching Bleach, and I was like, oh my god, I want to watch Bleach. So me and my younger sister watched Bleach right then and there. While he Bleach was that show that always came on Toonami. Um, Bleach, Naruto, Dragon Ball were and One Piece yeah. were the big ones that always came on Toonami at like six p.m. every day. Um, I was in Cali at the time, and I was really young, so I didn't really know what was happening. I just liked the swords, and I thought they were cool. Um, Same. I never really, like, wa- like when I was younger, I don't think I ever, like, watched watch Bleach. I always just watched episodes, like One Piece with Dragon Ball and with, um, um, what was the other one? Dragon Ball, One Piece. I think also mentioned Black... Naruto, Naruto. Uh, what? You mentioned Black, Black Butler. Two once. Um, there was Black Butler and there was Fully Cooley, cause that came on Adult Swim later on that night. But that was besides the point. I uh, I just I have I have fond memories about Bleach. I remember just randomly watching episodes when I was bored. I'm never really understanding what's going on. I thought the swords were cool, and then I actually ended up watching a lot of Bleach, like the first three hundred episodes ish last summer, last last summer, um, two years ago, twenty eighteen. So it's been a it's been a, it's, it hasn't been too long since I watched most of it. So I remember like a good amount of it. Um, still in my head. Like Tai Kubo, I think is a really talented guy. Like he has Bleach is obviously like as I said, right? It's the anime that you don't want to hate, but you do because of how poorly it turned out. But Tai and it's so hard because you can't blame Tai Kubo. But um, I think Tai Kubo, if he's given the devices to have complete free range i think he's pretty incredible and then we'll get we'll get something really good out of this so i'm excited man the future looks really good for this anime yeah yeah i think that's all i have to say i know i had a lot of the talking but i'm sure you're here some more talking maybe one day we'll do a bleach episode and you can mention everything there's a i have a lot of really mixed opinions on bleach i think yeah i don't know uh, I st- I will say though there there is one thing I didn't like also in Burn the Witch and I'm not criticizing it like that hard it's just a small nitpicky thing for me I always hate it when they say the entire name of something 
So they were like, we're going to do this. Like when they were like, when they pulled out the gun and then they exclaimed like, dude, it was a whole ass sentence. Like I'm not trying to hear a sentence. And that's one of the things I appreciated the most from Bleach when they were just like Bankai and then that was it. Like that was so fucking cool. I, I cannot, I cannot emphasize how cool that is. That's just fucking sick. And that's all they needed to say. They never said like, like everything they were doing. They're just like Bankai and like you had no idea what was going on, but it was sick because like it was just pure action at that point. I wish that Taikubo would go that route. Unfortunately, he resorted to the whole like full name sentence thing, but hopefully they don't do that in the future in Mission Arts. We'll see. That a bit only because like it's reminiscent of their witch nature. <laughs> mm-hmm. you're like familiar with witches saying spells or whatever. I mean, I guess, but like, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It, in comparison, because you know that he had a thing for Bankai, and it was yeah. just so cool. That's so yeah. cool. Oh, yeah. Well, to say, man, it's exciting. I'm happy about it. This episode done. I don't know. What are we going to do next? Like, this is usually what we're talking about, what we do next. What we do next? That's, already, that's an excellent question. I feel, like, I feel like right now, I don't really have anything to talk about, to be honest. Um, I think there's, there's simultaneously a lot of anime that I want to talk about and no anime that I, that's really coming to mind that's, like, coming up or going to be really big soon. So, um, I don't know. I'm thinking of doing something from KyoAni, honestly. Hi. Well, I'm not, I'm not the best with KyoAni, but I'll do what I can. Um, maybe Love, Chunibyo, and Other Delusions. I watched that four years ago. I got this. Easy. Easy. <laughs> That's a definite. Well, we'll, we'll discuss it. Um, in one of our One Piece episodes, once Oda gets better, um, and he releases That's some new stuff. But um, yeah, we'll keep you guys posted. If you guys are curious and we don't release episodes, like we don't, the next episode won't come out for a while. I'd recommend checking out our Reddit, by the way, r slash anime hub, or it should be r slash hub anime or r slash anime underscore hub. Regardless, it has our label on it, so it should be easily identifiable. Please, please, please join our Reddit community. We'd love to talk to you guys directly. Also, if you guys have any questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, anything you want us to improve on or talk about, shoot us an email to hubanime63 at gmail.com. Again, I think it's hubanime63 at gmail.com. Please email us. We love criticism. And more than that, we'd love to hear what you guys want because obviously we're doing this for you guys as much as we're doing it for ourselves. So like any kind of like feedback or anything you guys want us to cover or do research on, we'd be more than happy to do. Yeah, are you, uh, before we wrap up, do you want to just discuss what we're watching right now and then we'll... Dude, I'm watching nothing. I'm watching nothing. I, what did I watch? Nothing. I saw FOCO again. That was great. Uh, yeah, you go ahead. I'll, I'll think of something. I'll, I'll remember something at least. Uh, for seasonal anime, I'm watching Higurashi right now because I am in the minority and have not actually like played or consumed Higurashi in any medium because I hate horror. But um, I was strongly recommended to watch it, so I figured I would. And then I'm also watching Haikyuu, which is really good. I'm watching Jujutsu Kaisen like literally everyone else. And um, I'm also watching... Tony Kawa, uh, it's a it's a really interesting anime because it's about like about this girl that proposes to the guy immediately, 
and the guy is simultaneously the ultimate simp and the ultimate chad and it's incredible so i would highly recommend it for those who are like into like rom-coms because it's it's not raunchy at all which is weird given the type of anime it is it's actually super wholesome but it, and it's super funny too it's like really funny it's just it's just it's just it it just doesn't like it, it's just humor i i don't know how else to put it like it's just it's not raunchy humor it's not wholesome humor either though it's like it's just funny um it's like ridiculous humor there we go but yeah it's a good show really wholesome would recommend um other than that i'm not really watching anything at the moment either i'm i i'm caught up with solo leveling so i'm reading that weekly as well as obviously reading shihaya Furu. um other than that, yeah, nothing much. Oh, you mentioned reading. I recently I read this School Zone by Nengi Yao, six nine chapters. Really, really funny thing. It's like the entire cast is female, and it deals with like what they do and their antics when it comes to school. And uh, it's it's a it's a comedy one. I really like it. If you have time, I I I you know I I'd give it a read. Uh, School Zone by Nin Gi Yao, so N I N G I Y A U. The author. I also, you know, now I mentioned yesterday, just randomly, I decided to watch this new season, seasonal isekai that's being aired right now. It's the I Stand on a Million Graves one, which off the bat is really looks like the character design is awful like it's rubbish there's nothing unique about it it feels like a regular he's like i i read the first chapter and i compared it to the decisions that the director decided to do and i i approve of every single one of the decisions that the director did because you know it's an it's an adaptation right so it changes like things but i think for the pacing it helps it a lot better and for the slight for the slight differences that happen one of them being specifically that you see this guy's out of state life being super boring. And it's 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 one of those, I think it has potential and it seems that it's been going for over two years now and it has like 41 chapters released approximately. It's got a fan base, dude. And while I, it does, I heard from someone that it gets better as it goes and I can see why it would get better as it goes. The nature of the show and the character, the main lead, gives it away for more depth to be introduced. One of the really cool things that this character has to figure out is that he ends up working for himself. And one of the really interesting ways that the director decided to portray this, is, instead of just like mentioning it, right? Was that, you know, as you do in middle school, like right before high school, or when you're playing video games, right? He was playing a video game and he just barely manages to beat the boss. which shows you a lot about his determination and how he like managed to, to not effectively choke under pressure like he gets the job yeah. done but something that was later revealed in this episode that wasn't included in the manga which i appreciate a lot was that they go back to that scene right at the end where he beats that boss but then you see his teammate on the floor zooms into his teammate and his teammate is typing help help me and then teammate goes to zero and he wins he, he beats the boss he loses his teammate but he's happy about it this goes to show you that he needs to reevaluate his priorities because he could win. He needs to win in the situation that this character finds himself. They need to win as a team, even though that they can take advantage of the fact they can allow their teammates to die 
because respawns exist in this in this in this universe and that's prime and, and it goes back to the title right i stand on 100 million bodies he effectively stands on the lives of both his teammates and himself when he dies in the respawns mm-hmm. which adds to the complexity of it all mm-hmm. so so far the directing's fine it's like an edge lord middle school fest at first from the protagonist but like it's a while i'm like you can if like you're bored of seeing that like yeah you can skip it or whatever i'm going to give it a couple watches i'm gonna see what's up i'm i was thinking about reading the manga but then i read it chapter one and two i glanced at most of chapter two and i thought you know what i'm gonna give the director an opportunity just to like see how he adapts or how she adapts i'm not not too sure the director is, so I apologize for that. So that's what I've been watching, and I read, and I really recommend the read that I mentioned. It's super cute. There's a lot of interesting things going into it. The two leads for the school zone one that I mentioned, effectively because of the fact it's there's they're very intimate one one another. It's a female-led cast, and the two main protagonists they're they hang out a lot with each other. One of them loves the other person, like they actually love them. But the other person doesn't seem to be entirely too comfortable with the idea of um, you know, same-sex relationships. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I was actually gonna, I was gonna watch it because Reddit was going crazy about it. Wait, no, no, no. It's not, it's not a watch the manga. I don't think it has an anime out. But no, 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 no. There was uh... Oh shit! No, no, no. We're talking about different things. There's an anime that's exactly like that that's coming out this season. I'll, I'll, I'll give it a watch. Man. I'll give it a watch. You give it, you give me the name. I'll watch it. Uh, my, because I was actually gonna watch it. I was so tempted, but um, so the way I watch my shows, I have them all spread out during days, and this is my fourth Friday anime, and I was kind of ticked off about that, so I just didn't want to watch it because literally for that reason. Otherwise, it looks really good. Um, I'll give it a watch because I'm not watching Rezero. Rezero is on break anyway, so it doesn't matter. Okay, I will PM it to you later. Cool. I yeah, I think we're done. I think I think that's it. That's how I get. Okay, cool. Yeah. Bye. Um, I guess that's that. So thank you guys so much for listening. As always, I know we went on a few rants and a few like uh, long conversations, but we're glad we you guys stuck with us to the end. Once again, before we log off, please, please, please follow us on Reddit. Um, and also please, please, please email us with any questions, comments, concerns, criticisms, or any anime that you want us to do. Again, our email is hubanime63 at gmail.com. And lastly, a special announcement before we log off. We're planning to get started on YouTube. Um, this is not going to be for some time, but this has been in the works for a while. So we just wanted to let you guys know ahead of time. So once that's up on YouTube, we'll start uh, shouting out our YouTube. It'll primarily be our older episodes first, but we're going to be adding some music and some other stuff to it. So if you guys want to maybe catch up on some episodes that you haven't watched or like you guys are new viewers and you want to see, you want to hear us talk about like say demon slayer or some old 2019 anime, like we're going to be uploading it to YouTube. So please feel free to listen to watch it on YouTube. That'd be great. Um, otherwise I think that's it for me as well. So thank you guys so much for listening and uh, hope you guys have a good one. Yeah, same. Take care. Bye.